This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Walt Disney Productions, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, any and all of the brands that are associated under the Walt Disney Pictures umbrella. We talk about them here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the show, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com and do this here podcast. And over at that website, you can find show notes for this show. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews. You can find historical reviews of films and shorts from all through the decade. So make sure you go and check out the content there over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me as always, we have our wonderful film buffs. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, uh, who my understanding is rides through the night uh, when the full moon is bright. Is that correct? I do. Okay. I, I, Jasper and, you know, actually, I think Jasper really rides on my shoulder and roam around. Fun. That's probably true. Yeah. That's probably more accurate, yes. Uh, and, of course, we also have from JustPressPlay.net, Miss Rachel Kolb, uh, who I have heard re- referred to as a bold renegade. Is that true, Rachel? <laughs> uh, bold, perhaps. Renegade, I think, is up for interpretation. Fair enough, fair enough. And then, of course, we have our fine producer, uh, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find over at about.me slash Cheryl P3 or at Cheryl P3. And Cheryl, I, I hear it's understood that you have been known to carve a Z with your blade. Is that correct? <laughs> um, yes, and I have also put, put people in jail for no reason. Fair enough. <laughs> Happens to me a lot. Yeah, well, I think with you, she has a reason. <laughs> All right, um, I have been waiting to talk about this uh, on this program for how long have we been doing this now? Three. We're in our fourth year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, I've been waiting for three and a half years to talk about Zorro, the fox so cunning and free, uh, which we are doing in talking about the the nineteen fifty eight or nineteen sixty, depending on who you believe, film The Sign of Zorro, uh, which is basically just an editing together of the TV show. But it is Zorro, Guy Williams, in all of his finery, and I couldn't be happier that we're talking about it. I would like <laughs> to insert Vent here. Yes. Please. So, for, for those of us who are in the, let the let's say, what, 40s, oh. 30s, 40s? I don't know. When, when I remember this when I was a kid. Is my parents used to let me watch Disney Chill at night. And guess what was on, folks? Zorro. Not Zack and Cody. They weren't even born yet. That's right. Not 
um, Ant Firm, not any of this old stuff. They use the show black and white stuff. I know. This is an amazing concept, folks. They used to show stuff like Ozzy and Harriet. That, I mean, that's how I know who Ricky Nelson is. If I that's never right. watched, if I never watched that night, I would have no clue who Rick Nelson was, um, and I would have no clue about the, like the Nelson family and how popular they are. I have no clue what Zora was or any of that stuff. I, I really think Disney either needs to bring it back, um, or wait, or bring it, bring it back at night, or bring it as a new channel. If you don't think kids are gonna watch it, I don't know. Advertisers. Ryan's buying the, the Vault. Yeah, Disney, I'm in the Vault Disney <laughs> Channel. The Vault Disney Channel, where they show stuff from the old stuff, or at and, least put it on Netflix. They put everything else on Netflix. Put Zorro up. That'd be kind of cool. They're very they can put they're Power very, Rangers on there. They can put Zorro. They're very careful about what they put up on Netflix. I've noticed. Yeah, it's true. I've, yeah, no, I've noticed that it's it's very they're very temperamental about Netflix. Um, but they could p- make, make their own channel, and people makes people subscribe to that. Yep. Now, now you've been talking about how it running on Disney Channel as part of as part of what came to be known as Vault Disney. It didn't just run on Disney Channel; it ran on Disney Channel from 1983 to 2002. Yes. Okay. Yes, it did. During that time frame, it played five to seven days a week for all that time. And do you know why it played for five to seven days a week, Todd? Because they didn't have a lot of other content that they owned. That true, uh, <laughs> but because it's good. Yeah, it is like, good. This so I my, my history with the show is I watched it like you guys on Disney Channel, and then when they put out the Walt Disney Treasures DVDs, my wife was a huge fan, and her mother actually were huge fans. So I figured for Christmas one year I would get those Disney Treasures tins, and that would be a fun activity. Um, for all of us to sit around and watch some Zorro. And, like, it holds up. My family has been watching Zorro on Sunday nights, um, every Sunday night that we're here, um, for almost two years now, and we, we're just about to finish the second season of it, um, which doesn't make sense if you think of current TV seasons, but we'll talk about that. But, I mean, like, it holds up. The show is funny. It's fun. It's, you know... I. The thing I compare it to on TV now would be the good episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So 19 years, five to seven times per week, that, how, many, how many times do you think that means the entire series played without <laughs> I know where you're getting. Let's see. Um, probably a total of 10. <laughs> no, 80 times in that time period. Yeah. The, these yeah. are longer than than current TV seasons, folks. Yeah, that's true. Because if you right, because you're talking 19 years, so it's it's true. It's yeah, no. Per- the the, the show the show had 80 uh, 79 episodes total, and they called that two seasons. So before we get into the the show and everything, I mean, just a little brief background on on, on Zorro himself. Uh, it was created for the pulps, basically, um, by Johnston McCulley, uh, who created this this quote-unquote book called uh, The Curse of Capistrano. Um, if you've ever tried to read The Curse of Capistrano, I've read it multiple times. It's It, it bears little resemblance to what we know as Zorro um, these days. There's, there's the main thing of the, you know, the landowner, Diego Vega, who d- becomes Zorro to fight corruption in the town. 
that's about that's about as far as it goes compared to all the other Zorro stories that you would see. Um, but he was widely successful. Wrote ended up writing about sixty five Zorro books, uh, and you know Macaulay sold the TV rights and became a very wealthy man from his his books and film adaptations. Yeah, th- those books, by the way. Also published in 26 different languages with an estimated 500 million readers at the time of his death, which he died in 1958. Yeah, and not a lot of them are in print these days, which I found odd. Like because, like I said, once uh, once I found these treasures, I started reading a lot of stuff about Zorro. But like Curse of Capistrano, you can get for free on Kindle. Uh, but there's not a lot of the other books are still in print, which I found kind of strange considering how much is out there these days. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, One thing I like about Zorro just in general, uh, he has a lot of influence from Robin Hood and a bunch of other similar characters like the Three Musketeers and stuff like that. This was, you know, where his core was. Um, Set in the early 1800s is generally when Zorro is. Though sometimes some stories bleed into the late 1800s because he does have a relationship with the Lone Ranger in some books, but not the Macaulay books. Right. Just, just so we're aware right there. Um, the other thing is he has a major influence on a major superhero today. Yep. Okay. I've got this in my notes. Go he for it. He is Batman. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, because in the, the comic book, um, uh, Lil Bruce Wayne was going to see the Mark of Zorro with his parents when they were famously murdered. Yes. Um, Which version and, of Mark of Zorro was he seeing? I don't know. <laughs> He was seeing the Douglas Fairbanks version. That makes sense. Well, because although cause it's the, been updated since then to the Tyrone yes, Power version. <laughs> that, I, that's true, but originally he would have been seeing the, the Douglas Fairbanks version. That's right. So, but yeah, if you think about it, wealthy uh, wealthy playboy who masquerades as a man of books and uh, goes out in the night in a black costume with a cape fighting injustice—it's pretty much Batman. Yeah. And it's not that's not like a big secret or anything. I mean, the creators freely mentioned that they took some influence from Zorro, which is why he's referenced in the comic book. Well, there's and even- also the whole the whole notion of a symbol too. That yes. the the notion that the costume and all that can live on beyond just a single person. Indeed. Well, we can talk about it as we talk about the TV show too, but like even the 66 Batman series is influenced by the Zorro TV series and the lighthearted tone of the Zorro show versus, you know, the more serious tone of, of other, you know, of the other Zorro films and things. So he continued to, to be an influence on Batman, even in the 66 show that uh, most people would not acknowledge as, the most faithful adaptation of Batman ever, right? <laughs> Although it did drive a lot of what we saw of Batman between the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It did. Just, it did. just saying. <laughs> By it's the true. way, you, you might also say that Zorro has carved a... His flashing sword has carved a career of high adventure. I just feel like saying that because that's the poster slogan, so... <laughs> I want to work that in somewhere. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> All right, so um, to, to talk about the TV show and where Zorro came to Disney, which is what we're interested in, um, Walt got interested in Zorro uh, and the TV rights to, to try and license them from Macaulay. He did, and this was about the same time as he was setting up Disneyland. So he's working on Disneyland and made this deal with ABC Television um, to, to produce the Disneyland TV show. And 
the thing that I always find interesting about the Zorro TV show is that it went on the air in 1957, and it was Walt was trying to figure out um, after he had made the original deal for the Disneyland TV show to get money from ABC to finance the park, wanted to expand, and so the deal for Zorro and the Mickey Mouse Club uh, was struck together with ABC in '57, which led to things like the Matterhorn and the Submarine Voyage. <laughs> So I guess you could say we owe Zorro the Matterhorn. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> it's it's all strangely tied together. I mean, honestly, he bought he did buy it originally in what was it? It was early fifties, like fifty two or so, right? When he actually right. bought it, right? Yeah. Uh, and he nineteen fifty two. He licensed it to um, he used Wet Enterprises to purchase it. But he held it through uh, his personal company, which is not the Walt Disney Company. He held it through Walt Disney Incorporated. Right. Because like many, many rich men tend to incorporate themselves so they can do things like that. Uh, and it wasn't until just before they were going to do, actually do this series, which I think is like 1956-ish, when he actually transferred it to the Walt Disney Company because they needed the rights in order for everything to be legal and free and clear kind of stuff. Which, which, by the way, didn't happen, but we can talk about that. Right, well, right. Well, because the first time he wanted to, he really wanted to do Zorro as a TV show back, in, back when he got the licensing rights. But what happened was is everybody wanted a pilot for it. And he said, I'm not making a pilot. I don't do pilots. You do my show or you don't do my show. And yeah. they, nobody, nobody took his show. And that was why he ended up making the deal with ABC, like you said. Yeah, and the other thing is everybody wanted Walt in front of the camera because he had done a few TV specials, uh, and when they ended up choosing from a slate of shows, it was, we want the one that has you standing in front of the camera, which, as we all know, kind of built his persona even further. Yeah, um, and um, I also read that basically the, the licensing deal was that they paid $3,500 per year, okay, which continued through 1967, 10 years almost 10 years from the beginning of the show, right? Yeah. And, and that was why – so right now, that's why other companies after 67 went back and started doing their own movies again for, because until that time, he owned the television and movie rights. I wish they would get them back and do the show over again, but that's just me. <laughs> Although, to be fair, we did get Zora and the Gay Blade, which is a funny, funny movie. So It is. No, and, and even, even the first Antonio Banderas Zorro movie isn't too bad, but – um, I, I think it's fair to say that the TV, this TV show pretty much defines what the character is going forward um, because the, everything that comes after this point is basically playing off the, the rules and the ideas that were established in this show. Yeah, I, I think people, when they think of Zorro, think of this show whether they realize it or not. That's right. That's exactly it. Um, the thing to note about this show is, you know, we, we talk about Walt and his dedication to quality. It, this was one of the most expensive shows on television. Uh, I mean, he's, he literally built a, a permanent sets for this. Um, the, the, the Puebla, the Quartel, the Stockade, all these things that were built on the studio lots and at the, the ranch that they owned – um, yep. North of town, you know, we're talking spending hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah, the, in 1957. The, to the total pre-production cost to, to create those sets, buy the furniture and everything that went, that you see in them was $208,000. 
Which doesn't sound like much, but that's a lot of money in 1955. Yeah, yeah. It, I, by that date, it was the most expensive Western TV show because it's considered a Western, by the way, just so people understand. Uh, show date, okay? Yeah. Um, and they were spending between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars for each show, and so each show. Now you have to remember. Today, when you have a 30-minute show, it is actually more like 22 minutes because of ads. In those days, they sold the show to two sponsors, and they rotated sponsors at the beginning and the end of the episode. So there would be a commercial at the beginning and a commercial at the end. So each show is more like 29 minutes. Yep. Uh, but fifty to $100,000 for each show is like 10 times the average cost of, a, of an hour show. In not just days. not just that. I read that the first thirty nine episodes alone cost a total of three point two million dollars, which right. makes just those first thirty nine episodes eighty two thousand dollars per episode. Yeah. Okay. Now t- to compare, uh, if you look it up, you can figure out that the uh, hour drama back then, an hour drama, not a thirty minute drama, an hour drama back then cost about fourteen thousand dollars per episode. So there you go. That's a lot of money being thrown at 30 minutes. What it shows, though, and I don't know that you get the full effect of it necessarily in the movie because you expect it in a movie, but if you're watching the the TV show on the DVDs or, um, quite frankly, a lot of them are up on YouTube, uh, you can see the production value is really strong. I mean, the the stunt work that they do in these, in these shows is as good as any practical effects stunt work you're going to see today. Like the sword fighting and the, you know, the, the falls and those sorts of things that you see, you know, and again, I, I say for sure practical effects because they do a lot of things with CGI these days, but watching Zorro fight Commandante Monastario with, with a sword to me is as exciting as watching Godzilla rise out of the water and his $300 million CGI. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like you, you say that, and one of my favorite sword fights in the whole thing is that one that they have that on their first encounter, right in the middle of the fort. Yes. Right? I mean, that's a fantastic sword fight. It's, it's just played out well. You can tell they really understood how each other moved so they could really basically dance, which is what a good sword fight in a movie looks like dancing to me. So Yeah. Well, you compare it to something like, like uh, Curse of the Black Pearl, for example. Right, like the, there's great sword yep. fights in that film. They did that every week on this show. Yeah, for seventy nine episodes, <laughs> it's it's kind of insane, actually. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about the death of the show? Why the show died? Uh, because of legalities. But yeah, go for it. Yeah. So. It was eventually pulled off the air by Disney due to legal issues. And legal issues were with ABC, which today probably sounds weird, especially if you're like a younger individual going, but they're the same company, right? right. Uh, back then they weren't. So, and their, base, their legal issues were over Zorro, the Mickey Mouse Club, and the anthology series, which, as Ryan said, was the deal that was made. Uh, Walt spent a long time wanting to bring it back. Okay, he even aired um, a few a few like four hour blocks of episodes as the anthology series as part of the anthology series 
because that remained on TV. He only pulled Zorro off at the time. Yeah, he put. Okay. He, they did four hour long specials after the main show went off, and he did a lot to keep the to keep those to keep Zorro alive. Like he put Annette Funicello in one of those hour long specials, like right at the peak of her, you know, her popularity, just to try to keep Zorro in people's consciousness because he really wanted to bring the show back. Yeah, but but by the time the legal stuff got all cleared up and all was said and done, Walt was like, you know what? He it just Walt was a realist, right? If if anything else, despite all the fantasy that he could create and come, bring to life, at the end of the day, he was so realistic about business and understanding how people viewed things and stuff that his feeling was is the world had moved on, so it was time to keep it on the shelf. Yeah, which I can understand, might, but still sad. You might say that it was the Firefly of that era. It might very well be, although it got away more episodes than Firefly did. That's and, true. <laughs> and just a lot just by ratings. the fact that seasons were longer. Yeah, definitely. So do we yeah. need a Kickstarter to get Zorro back? Is it worth yes. it? <laughs> that, would, so, that would be really funny. So just for a frame of reference, right, the, the audience for Zorro was so massive. It Now, in those days, it's not necessarily massive, but it was still a huge, huge hit. But we're talking 35 million viewers watch the show every week. It, it did a 36 share, which is 36% of the people who are actually watching television every week watched Zorro. And you have to remind people, no cable, no, you know, no DVRs, no VCRs, none of that stuff. You know, it, people had to tune in when the show was on. They didn't have another choice. Right. Yeah, it it every I found the, the the it was funny that every show that aired against it was canceled because Zorro just crushed it. Hmm. It was a monster hit. Um, it, it it was one of those things that you know I, I yeah it's hard for people I think people who don't follow TV ratings to understand but like probably the biggest show on television now will get eleven million viewers. You know, outside of things like the Super Bowl or, you know, things like that. But, like, the biggest regular weekly television show will average between 10 and 11 million viewers. Yeah. And this uh, was even three times that much. And it wasn't just the show. Okay. Uh, this was one of the biggest market merchandising windstorms uh, ever in the history of television, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. This and Davy Crockett are, are like... You don't hear about this one as much, uh, but it was almost as popular as Davy Crockett. Yeah. Uh, they did all sorts of stuff because um, there was a whole big thing where I think it was 1958 where they had the actors and actresses all over Disneyland, you know, for uh, three or four different performances. And they yeah. had a special Zorro show where um, Guy Williams would be part Don Diego, part Zorro, and he'd be fighting Montessario, and they'd be running around, and it was the actual actors. It wasn't yeah, like stuntmen playing the actors. That's the crazy part, is like, think about, like, if again, I'll go to, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? You know how Disney loves their corporate synergy. Can you imagine Bill Paxton and Clark Gregg fighting each other in Tomorrowland four times a day? I really can but but that's what they did. <laughs> I mean that that literally is the equivalent of what they did. They had these guys come out to the park four times a day and fight each other on the roofs, doing the stunts, the falls. And uh, Britt Lomond, who who played Monastario, ended up in the rivers of America four times a day. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's just crazy to think about the differences between, you know, back in those days. Walt could probably say, hey, guys, I just can, I'm going to need you to walk outside in front of the park selling tickets. And they probably would have done it. Guy Williams traveled all over the country to promote this show. Um, he with Tornado. Uh, and he would ride around and meet kids and sign autographs and sign posters and whatever the people brought out. That was what he was there for. Um, you know, because back then they didn't actually like charge for their signatures like they do today when you meet famous people. Right. You know, uh, there was a lot of uh, other things done. Uh, the first appearance of Zorro was on the fourth anniversary show for Disneyland Anthology. Right. Uh, before the show itself came on, Guy Williams came out dressed as Zorro. Little, and they showed some clips. Uh, there was a little Zorro in the Mickey Mouse comic strip. And last but not least, because it's already been quoted like 50 times by Ryan since we started recording, <laughs> the, the theme song, okay, which was performed for the show, for the movie, well, for the TV show by the Mellow Men, right? There were, yes. there were like 20, 30 different versions of this song that had been recorded in a five-year time span. Uh, the total copies of the song were, that were sold were one million copies, okay? And a version by a group named the Cordettes even made it to the top 20 on the Billboard charts. Yeah, because back in those days, you could basically, like, when a piece of music, when a song came out, you could just take it and record it. There weren't, there wasn't the, you know, like, you didn't have to go get permission. So people would record the same song, you know, 50 times. Um, but, it, it, yeah, it was it was huge. Not it, again, like the, what I would compare this to is like I think a lot of folks in in TV history or in Disney history look at Davy Crockett and the Davy Crockett theme song and merchandising. Um, and it, it, people will forget that Zorro was, if not quite as big as Davy Crockett, it was pretty darn close. Yeah. And, well, they, and Guy Williams made a lot of money as Zorro. He he did. He he had two point five percent of the merchandising rights. Not just the stuff with his likeness, all the merchandising rights. That's very cushy. Even by today's standards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he, he, he did quite well for himself to the point that he could uh, he ended up retiring to a villa in Argentina. Uh, which he had visited at one point, you know, promoting the show, and he just liked it there and was able to do so and flew in his castmates from time to time. You know, he was... Uh, Guy Williams did, did okay. So let's start the film. Yeah, because uh, the <laughs> film is called The Sign of Zorro, and it's basically... It's taken from the first 13 episodes of the show. If you've never actually seen it before, it basically follows 13-episode arcs. Um, some of them are a little longer, a little shorter, but for the most part, 13-episode arcs. So this, uh, the film, The Sign of Zorro, is cut together from the storyline of the first 13 episodes where Guy Williams as Diego de la Vega uh, becomes Zorro and fights Comandante Monastario, who is the corrupt head of the Cortel de los Angeles. So basically the city of Los Angeles. Um, and so it's really all the everything I read said it's taken from eight episodes of the show. Um, as somebody who's watched those first 13 episodes a couple times, it's really like three episodes with filler from the other five just to make the transitions work. Yeah. yeah. Part part of the thing that that happens, if you remember how the episodes are spread out, is that the, like the stuff with fake Zorro and when he's like living in the woods and stuff like that. 
those that's not back to back episodes and they kind right. of go to that in the middle of another episode so that whole that is why it's spread out over so many episodes but it's not really a lot of you know content from the other you know seven or eight episodes yeah that's right it's really yeah it's really taken from three episodes and that forms the three acts of the film um in a way so the first bit of it is just sort of introducing the character so like we open up on a ship uh, and you see Guy Williams fencing with uh, something with the person, I guess the captain of the ship or somebody. They never tell you who it is in the show, and they don't tell you who it is in the movie. Um, and he's there. He's gotten a letter from his father, um, his manservant Bernardo, who's played by Gene Sheldon, who we talked about in uh, Toby Tyler. Yep. Uh, and it, Bernardo and uh, Diego are reading this letter from his father, which that's one of the things you have to sort of suspend disbelief in that uh, Diego reads everything aloud. And, you know, it's it's one of those shows that's like it's very much like, did you get the point? Let me say it to you again. You know, like you have to kind of let that go. That's, he, that's part of it. He does it with such flair, though. He does. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, so. Basically, the letter from his father has recalled him from Spain, where he was going to university. Um, and it, he's, you know, obviously a wealthy landowner, a Don, uh, and his father, Don Alejandro, who's uh, played by George Lewis. Um, he's a was a Mexican-born uh, person who had uh, worked in Hollywood for quite some time. Yes, he even he even once got to wear the Zorro costume himself, not in the context of the show, mind you. Oh, oh, but he did. Oh, does he later on? Yes, he does in oh, the does. second, second so, season. He okay. wore the costume briefly. He, he was not Zorro, though, in the, in the Republic serial. He was, there's a Republic serial called Zorro and the Black Whip, and that the Black Whip is Zorro's daughter, who, or, who's, and because his son dies taking his place, so the daughter takes the place of the son who took the place of Zorro. I know it's very confusing. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> anyway... Uh, he played the boyfriend, and one time he had to protect her identity, so he dressed up as Zorro. I don't understand it either. Just yeah, roll with it. <laughs> but so Diego is trying to figure out, like, they, they don't know what's going on. And so they, he figures out that before they land, they are going to have to come up with some idea of how they're going to find out, you know, what's, what's the matter uh, in Los Angeles. And so he comes up with this idea uh, on the boat that he will pretend to be, you know, sort of a, a man of books, as he puts it, um, not a man of action. And we've already seen that he can sword fight very well, those sorts of things. And we know that's what his father is expecting. So he basically um, has Bernardo throw out all of his fencing trophies and things, throw them overboard so that he can come into town and be perceived as this, you know, playboy reader interested in poetry type thing rather than the the swordsman that he is yeah which is which is a bit of a take on uh the idea from the scarlet pimpernel of this man who's leading a double life and he's pretending to be uh sort of this fashion obsessed uh foppish character while at the same time rescuing these people from danger right i want to say i appreciate the 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 real life plunk when you heard it in the water. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can tell they just like dropped like a stone into a toilet or something like that to make that noise. Yep. 
Yeah. So uh, when they when they do arrive, they're you know take, being taken. Uh, and I should mention Bernardo uh, comes up with the, with something for him to do as well. Bernardo is mute, uh, but he decides that he's going to pretend to be deaf and. Therefore, people say things around him uh, that they would not normally say, which doesn't really play out so much in the film, but in the TV show, that is used to their advantage quite a lot. Yeah. And so when they get stopped coming into town, they are stopped by Sergeant Garcia, who's played by Henry Calvin, who's just awesome throughout the entire show. Uh, Also from Toby Tyler. Yes, also from Toby Tyler. Uh, he, no, uh, Henry Calvin and Gene Sheldon were like the best parts of the show that were not Zorro. They're they're funny and they're constantly getting into you know misadventures and side things. That's the kind of stuff that you don't get in the film because you know we're, they keep the focus on Zorro throughout the entire thing. But uh, they get stopped by Sergeant Garcia and are introduced to Commandante Monastario. So. The Commandante uh, is played by Britt Lomond, and he is dealing with – he has this – and I don't remember the guy's name, but he's – I'm sure they probably said it in the show, but not as much in the film, That this little, like, toady guy that works with him. Um, The attorney. I just call him a lawyer. That's what my notes say (laughs) all the time because he calls him his lawyer at one point in time. I'm like, all right, lawyer, that's your name. And I think they, I think they give him a name in the show, but it's, it's so unimportant, right? Like the, the conflict is always Zorro and Monastario throughout the whole first thirteen episodes. Um, but Monastario is, is basically, you know, sort of interrogates Don Diego a bit, um, trying to figure out why he's back in town, that sort of a thing. Um, and Don Diego plays it off as nothing. Um, there's a really funny moment between Garcia and Bernardo where Bernardo has like they fire a gun even and uh Bernardo pretends that he doesn't he doesn't hear it doesn't even flinch it's Montessori who fires the gun because he he doesn't right. believe that he's actually deaf and that's and that's the convincing factor for Montessori he never goes back to question it again no no although i have to say of all the villains that they face throughout the whole sh- the whole series Montessori is probably the best one even not the brightest one but he's a schemer. He is. When they get and they get to um, uh, Don Alejandro, Don Diego's father's house uh, or or casa, uh, they he says he basically rails against Monastario. Basically, what Monastario has done is you know the same thing as the sheriff of Nottingham, right? Like he's he's raising taxes, he's driving out people, he's you know um, imposing upon the the poor and. Uh, basically trying to keep the rich out of his way. So that's it, it's very much in the Robin Hood mold, uh, at least these first few episodes in the, in, the, in the film. Right. He he instantly creates the conflict with his father because of what he's lying about. That's, that's right. also important too because it plays for a very long time in the episode until his father finally finds out that he actually is Zorro. Yeah, which doesn't happen until like season – midway through season two I think. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's a conflict between his father because his father's like you know get excited, do something, my son, and of course he's playing the, you know the fop, and so he does not. Uh, but the the conflict in this first act comes from like the first four or five episodes of the show, which is um, Don Ignacio Torres is arrested for treason. They never say why or what he did. He basically, I think spoke up against Monastario, but that's about all you get. Like you don't see him do it or any of those sorts of things in the movie or, or the TV show. 
Um, but the treatment of Nacho Torres, as they call him. Yeah. I ca- my notes just say here. Don Nacho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's, the, that's, our, that's what prompts Don Diego to, to go into action, is to figure out a way to free Don Nacho. Um, and that's what prompts him to he, – he decides that he has to be as cunning as the fox – and that's where he gets his name because Zorro is the, the Spanish for Fox. Yep. But apparently he's been preparing for this for like 20 years because he has secret caves and a horse that he left behind. And he makes, and he makes his first Z like it's just like right off the top of his head. Hey, look what I can do. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet, I have to yeah. say. But yeah, he, he um, so he goes into action as Zorro um, and that's his first of – what would become a staple of the TV show is of Zorro getting into the Cortel and into the stockade and then getting back out again with 20 soldiers around him and people firing guns and him not getting hurt and, and finding a way in and out. Like, it happened almost every week. And, and not just that, but to be fair, because Walt, despite all the money that Walt spent, he did some scene reuse for things like that. As well as he would shoot like out of order, because if they were on a set, it's it's cheaper to keep everything on the one set and film a whole bunch of stuff and then move every, all the equipment. So things like the escapes were like reused a couple times. Yes, yeah, and, and you can tell, but they're not like he was smart about it though. He didn't do it like the next episode would not have the same escape, yes. so you wouldn't see it for like ten episodes, and then you'd see the same exact escape skinness again. Yeah, but you wouldn't – it was interesting because they would always put a twist on it, right? Like there was always like some neat little sword move that Zoro would do or some, you know, like trick that he would have play on Garcia or something like that. What yep. they would reuse over and over again was him walking across the rooftops or jumping off the side of the building or, um, you know, one sword fight with one guy, that kind of a thing. It, it, there was always – it was always cut differently or, you know, something like that. Yes, I also wanted to make you we were talking about the caves. I wanted to make clear that there was a Zorro cave and a Tornado cave. Right? Yes. They each had their own caves. Tornado Tornado is the horse. We didn't mention that. Yes, Tornado is the horse. Who my favorite thing throughout the whole series is that when he that he can whistle to call his horse. To me yes. that would be the coolest thing ever to be able to whistle and have an animal come to you because my dog doesn't do it. You have to like just snap <laughs> and, and tell him wait, to come. Wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. Your cat used to do that. That's true. I did. That's, I, that's right. To be fair, I did have a cat that would come when I whistled. I don't know why that we learned that trick, but we did. Um, I just want to talk about Tornado for a second because unlike a lot of things where they will switch horses in and out liberally and just like get the next horse that looks the same, uh, for most every shot you see over the entire television series, the horse is played by a, a horse named Diamond Decorator. Okay, who was, who was a black quarter horse that was born in 1950. So, and he did have stunt stand-ins for very specific things, right? The, 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 the three stunt stand-ins did the following. One was for the rearing, you know, when he goes, that's going up on your hind legs, for those that are not familiar with the term. One is for fight scenes, because I don't think there are any fight scenes with him on Tornado in this, other than the jousting. Right? Yeah, I think that was it. Right. But there are a lot of them in a lot of the episodes where he actually has like sword fights like on the horse and stuff like that. And there's one for the high speed running. Everything else is Diamond Decorator in the entire series. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
the the most famous shot of Zorro on his horse that they use in the opening credits of the show and others is a, is a shot of him rearing up on the horse. And apparently, if you it, by the special features on the on the DVD, like that was really hard to get a horse to do, and hmm. it was very time consuming. And they did it in almost every episode. So cool. they they really took a lot of attention to detail and, and to what they were doing um, in these episodes. Also, Guy had a um, very strong bond with Diamond Decorator because it, remember we're saying he went around the country. Diamond Decorator went almost everywhere with him around the country when he went to those special showings. So they traveled in a pair, and there was there's even a story because there was a bit of controversy about it because at one point he showed up for a parade and the horse couldn't make it. And they wanted him to ride another horse, and he's like, I'm not riding that horse because he didn't right. know the horse, right? And he rode – so he rode in a parade car instead, and apparently it caused all sorts of controversy that Zora did not ride a horse. He rode a car. Right. So. <laughs> well, he's Zoro after all. Yeah. I understand. The the first act of the film, though, is is this uh, storyline with with Nacho Torres to get back to the to the film. So it's uh, Don Diego goes to free Nach- uh, Don Nacho, uh, manages to keep him. They were going to kill him. They tried to set it up so that uh, Don Nacho could quote unquote escape. The lawyer went and let him out of his cell, and then as he was walking away, then Monastario was going to shoot him. Zorro manages to save him. Um, Don Alejandro comes and actually gets locked up with him. <laughs> uh, this this go, when this was like half of the first arc. I think this was like six episodes. Was the whole Don Nacho controversy um, when they actually catch Don Nacho uh, coming back? Uh, there's a scene here where he's in a wagon with a bunch of sentries and being taken to the stockade. Um, that is actually he he had gone out into the countryside and hidden away in a church for like two or three episodes. Um, and Monastario actually went into the church to try and get him out, which as you can imagine in eight, in the, you know, 1800s in Spanish Los Angeles was a big no, no. Yeah. He probably blew out the candles too. He might've, he might've. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because again, one of the thing about these, these first, few episodes of the show is the conflict is very strong between his father and you can tell in the movie because it's a condensed version of those first episodes is that by the end of this arc it kind of sort of isn't there anymore right right and so you can tell it so it's very strong in the beginning of this movie ver- version of it and very weak at the end so because he goes oh, i'm going to go put on a costume and me and my buddies you know my drinking buddies we're going to go and we're going to go rescue him we got a plan and we're doing it and you're going to help and he's like i'm not going to help and he goes well i'm doing it anyway right yeah that's that's like the second act of the film is you know uh Don Alejandro basically has gotten incensed by the treatment of his friend Don Nacho, and this the whole second story is really one episode of the show, which is he decides that he's going to storm the the gates basically with all the other Dons, and they're going to roust Monastario and and kick him out. Um, Monastario gets wind of this because uh, one of the servants on the ranch. Uh, Let's lets him know, and he sets up a trap for all the Dons, basically saying that they're inciting treason. Uh, and Zoro catches wind ahead of time, rides in and saves them from from getting locked up. But yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's setting and up. What the does conflict. he shout? 
What does he shout? What, he what sa- he, he says, don't, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> he does shout that. He does. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, but yeah, that that and if that sounds like a thin episode, you have to understand that like most of these episodes are the interplay between the characters leading into two or three fight sequences. So they're it's it's strange. Like I found myself as I'm watching them, they are light on story as opposed to the shows that you would watch today, but they're more interesting almost because the the characters you get so much time to spend with them and talking back and forth and little bits of comedy between garcia or bernardo or don diego and you get you know so much time to spend with them and then the fight sequences are so long and extended i mean you're talking in a 29 minute show they would have a five or six minute fight sequence um that's a lot for for a short show uh, but yeah, the, the the plots themselves could stretch over thirteen episodes. And I don't. What did you guys think as far as like the plot of the film? It doesn't hold together great for me as a movie. I I think they should have introduced Big Zora sooner. Like if they could have managed it, I realize they can't because of they started at the beginning. Right. But I think that would have had that been going on longer throughout. I think it might have worked a little bit better because. You know, it's a common thing in a Zoro movie for Zoro, somebody to dress up as Zoro and pretend they're Zoro and try to defame Zoro. That's, like, always a big story. Yeah, and I guess now is as good a time as any to say this. Um, I know you guys have a long history with the show. I didn't have a similarly long history with the show. Um Growing up, my family did not have cable, so I would on occasion catch episodes of Zorro. So I'm much more watching this just independently as a movie as opposed to having the baggage of having the show with it. Um, And in that mindset, yeah, the the plot is kind of wonky. Yeah, it doesn't – that's the thing. It's like I almost almost want to go back and cut my own version of this (laughs) because – like, I don't know that this whole middle section that we're talking about where Don Alejandro's involved, like, to your point, Todd, like, it doesn't really add anything. It, it's just part of the conflict between he and his father. Um, there's some great fights in it as he flees with Don Alejandro, and, and there's the jousting scene on Tornado. Um, there's a great sword fight with Monasterio. So, I mean, there's some fun action to it, but it doesn't add to the plot. Right. All it all it does is it it builds the other conflict, which is the conflict between Zoro and Montessario. That's all this next, you know, twenty twenty five minutes of the movie actually does. Right. Which I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like I feel like the fake Zoro part um, is actually a little bit better uh, at doing that, and it, it it doesn't establish. You know, they they completely drop the whole. Um, conflict between Don Alejandro and and how he thinks his son is you know a fop that just sort of goes away towards the end of the film right that yeah well because it did in the, it does in the series too yeah to a degree I mean it always comes back a little bit until he figures it out but but yeah it goes away but um, by the way I wanted to ask Rachel if she caught the line because I know she loves lines like this so I wrote I wrote it out um, <laughs> there's there's a point where 
Don Nacho has been rescued and is on the run. And so they arrest his wife and daughter in his place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Sergeant Garcia says these, these guards, they do not have the, a deep respect for Californian womanhood. <laughs> okay. I had forgotten about that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I wrote in my notes? I wrote underneath it, like the Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So true. I will say, I will say, for the most part, uh, on the on the show, and it's not reflected here. Uh, on the on the most part, the treatment of women in Zoro was far above that of, let's say, Million Dollar Duck. Yeah, um, actually, some of the parts that I enjoyed the most were actually the dancing ladies, the flamenco dancers. That was something that I wrote down in my notes as really enjoying. Oh yeah, the the women in this are in this show are really really strong. Um, they're, they're, you, I think Rachel, you would actually really like the show because there's a uh, I can't remember if it's towards the end of season one or the beginning of season two. There's a a girl who um, who sells tamales in the marketplace who basically will take no guff from anybody, and that's why she gets arrested, uh, because somebody comes to knock over her tamale stand, and she basically attacks them, and Zoro has to spend the next six episodes getting her out of trouble caused by her own mouth. <laughs> it sounds good. you know. It, like, it's good. The thing is that this this movie does really do its job as far as, I mean, as I said, the plot is a little bit wonky, but... It definitely gives a taste for what the show is like and would get someone who hasn't watched a whole lot of Zora like me make me want to watch more of it. Right. Yeah. That's, the, that's the thing. This whole show stands the test of time in terms of watching because in its day when it came out, it was already a show that about – it was a Western. So it took place in a century before it was on television and you're watching it almost a century later – when you think about it, right? And it right. still holds up. It does. Yeah. That, that that I think was the crazy realization for me. Like I when I watched it again when we got the DVDs was the fact that this show still works um this many years later. You know, I mean, you I could point to shows on TV right now that don't have half the production value of this. Um, which is kind of crazy, but uh, but back to the movie. Uh, the next bit is a trial or a faux trial, I should say, um, because as we said, Don Nacho comes back. Don Alejandro gets captured as he's um, you know he gets injured in the attack, shot actually, and gets injured in the attack. Zorro manages to free him. You know, fights with Monasterio a couple times, but ends up um, that Don Alejandro gets captured. And they have a trial. So the, a judge is coming from Monterey to proceed over the trial. Um, but Monastario moves up the trial so that uh, his lawyer friend can be the judge and basically mocks the trial and decides to make it so that uh, Alejandro and Nacho are going to be executed. Uh, finding out about this, Don Diego dresses up as Zorro. Um, and does what he does many times throughout the course of the show, uh, presses a sword into someone's back until they change their mind. In this case, <laughs> the lawyer. <laughs> and what I love is 
is both times you see it over the course of this movie, the first time with Garcia and then again here, he does it, but it's one, it's one of the times when he doesn't remain the whole time. He just kind of leaves whatever the object is pointing in their back and walks away. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the lawyer has to tell them not guilty because Zoro was right there at his back, and so the the whole saga of Don Nacho is over, and Don Alejandro goes free uh, as well, which leads us into the the final piece, which is the the fake Zoro uh, piece. Uh, but that's where this is where I felt like they could have used some sort of transition because they go almost directly from him saying not guilty and them looking at the the, the fake sword at his back to the next thing we know. There's flamenco dancing. Yes, dancing. Yes. Celebra- celebratory dance <laughs> in the bar is what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a whiplash. Well, here's the other thing, right? Everybody who wasn't really getting along is together in this bar watching right. this. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the more important thing. It's like here's the lawyer. Now he doesn't know that Don Diego is Zorro, of course, but they're sitting down at a table together having a glass of wine uh, in the tavern. You know, and everybody else is in there. Uh, when what happens is a one gentleman decides that he wants the dancing senorita to to come and sit with him at his table, and another gentleman decides he wants the same, and they get into a sword fight over it. And the one gentleman, the the second gentleman, kills the first, uh, gets arrested, but not before the commandante sees what had happened and decides that this this guy. You know, he can sword fight pretty well. Perhaps he could be just what I need to frame up Zorro and, and get him, you know, captured and get the people to turn against him, more importantly. Um, so he decides that he is what he's going to do is give a dinner at the tavern for the, the big dons, the landowners, and he's going to have Zorro come in, the fake Zorro, and rob everybody, and that way we'll turn everyone uh, against Zorro, and then somebody will turn in the real Zorro, and all will be well. Monasterio will have his iron grip on the, the Pueblo once again. Which is, a perf- of course, a perfect plan. I mean, nothing could go wrong here. Put, 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 you know, put it in the hands of a criminal and Garcia to you know, see this through. Yeah, that is the key mistake that most of the villains in the first season make, is trusting Sergeant Garcia to help them with their plans. He has the best of intentions, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, he's just not the brightest. No, no, he's not. Uh, he he routinely gets outwitted by Bernardo. <laughs> he does. It's true. Um, so they have the big dinner. Uh, Don Alejandro can't come because he's still wounded from his... Uh, from from being shot trying to escape earlier and it, so instead Don Diego comes to the big dinner and which makes it rather awkward when Zorro shows up to rob people because we the audience know that Zorro is standing right there uh, and so Don Diego manages to slip out in the middle of everything uh, just to come back in as Zorro and confront the fake Zorro Yes. But mean, but then Monasterio goes up to the second level thinking that the real Zorro is the fake Zorro, um, and it's really sort of something from Laugh-In. Right, because outside, Bernardo's switching ladders and 
the guy goes up the one ladder and then goes to go bound down this other side, but it's on the other side, and then Venara switches it back again. And so there's two doors. It, it's a it's a really well designed scene. Like you can tell this set was designed for this scene. That yeah. that upstairs part. Yeah, this was actually my favorite scene in the whole movie. With the, with the with the ladders and with the fake Zorro, I I thought this was probably this was my favorite part. Uh, see, my favorite part comes up um, a little bit later here, um, because they figure out they they figure out who the fake Zorro is. Um, they they figure out that it's Martinez, but they don't know where he is. Um, and so it's another awkward jump, right? Um, as the the party clears out, and then like the next. Uh, I do enjoy the line uh, from Don Diego as he's leaving the party uh, where he says, I ha- haven't been myself all evening. <laughs> yes. And also the fact that he was apparently saving the wine, that that was his cover. Yes. <laughs> there's a, so just to take a step, a sidestep for a minute, there's a lot of wine drunk in this movie slash TV show. Well, they're Spanish. Fair enough, but it's 1958. Like, I didn't realize you were allowed to do that on TV in 1958. I guess, well, they never, they never actually say it's wine. Oh, no, they do, trust me. In many, many, many episodes, oh, Sergeant episodes- Garcia is plastered. Ah. Well, they, but they don't. But they don't actually say it's wine in this thing. He just says he's, you know, saving what's important is what he says. Ah, yes, true. Very true. But yeah, th- we have another awkward cut. So, like, right after he ducks out and says the line about "I haven't been myself all evening," you see the Z on the back of the door. Well, and that's and that's <laughs> clear, clearly the end of the episode, right? So then the the next thing is Bernardo knocking on the door and saying that the guy who impersonated him, Martinez, is dead. Uh, but, you know, Don Diego is a bit suspicious about this. Uh, and it turns out, as, as we find out, that Monastario is out, has buried him out in the desert. Not buried as in he's not dead, but, you know, he's hiding him. And they are planning to have him, to have Zorro, the fake Zorro, go and steal a crown from the church. And that will really turn everybody against Zorro. Before, they did, they were only going to turn him against him a little bit. but And no one's going to figure out that there was a fake Zorro. Again, Monastero, not the best of plans, is what I'm saying. Yeah, don't use the same trick twice. Yeah. Um, but he did. He did. Uh, he manages to... But they, they send him out. Fake Zorro steals the crown. Um... Kills a man. Kills a man. Uh, goes back out into the desert. And so the the real Zorro is riding out into the desert as Don Diego to try and figure out what's going on and trying to figure out what's happening. Um, they decide to play a trap in the tavern. This, is, this, is, this was uh, a scene that I thought was pretty funny. He and Bernardo just dropping jewels on, on random places to see what happens and see how people react. They're, they're glass jewels. That's important to note. Yes. But I thought I, it, it's a rather clever plan that I would not have thought of quite honestly. I, well, I didn't really understand 
the crown that they were stealing anyway, right? Because in the movie, right, we're, we're talking about how it, the plot is hard, sometimes hard to follow. This this crown, it's on a statue that's in the church, which I presume it's like a statue of Mary, and they stole the crown off the statue of Mary. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you don't really get a good look at it, so you don't even really know it has jewels on it at that point until the end when it's found and you actually see the jewels on it. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't... That's the thing, is like, I... I I don't think I enjoyed the movie as much as I did watching the 13 episodes because there's so many things. I'm curious about your take, Rachel, when we get to the very end, but, but also just curious now, like, was it hard to follow some of this? At times it was a little bit confusing. I just, like, I didn't really have super strong expectations knowing that it was something that was just edited together from the show. So I just kind of went, well, I bet they'll explain this in a little bit, so I'll just kind of stick with it. And did they? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Like, the stuff with the with the crown and all that, yeah, that was that was confusing to me. I think that was probably the most confusing thing that happened in the movie for me plot wise. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, I, it's, I was like, well, it's Zorro, you know, he's, you know, going out doing his thing. It, that's really all I really expected from it. So, yeah. so if the plot was a little bit wonky, I was like, well, that's fine. Yeah, and that's pretty much like, like you said, like, like that's what you should if you if you guys go out and rent this movie, it is on Amazon Instant. Like that's what you should expect. Like you want to see Guy Williams being charming and riding around and fighting people with swords. That's what you want. Um, exactly. And, and that's what you're gonna get. He's the happiest man when he gets con- when he has consternation on his face. It's like he's still smiling. It's crazy. He, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he is. I, I cannot say enough about Guy Williams as Zorro. Like, um, I had not seen the show in quite some time. Um, and, you know, like I said, my wife wanted to watch it. We watched the episodes, and I was like, that's Zorro. Like, that's – I'm very shocked that nobody has really gone back to that interpretation um, since. You know, the, the, the Antonio Banderas film, I think the first one came the closest, but – uh, it's just ripe for a TV show or, or something. You know, it's 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 a great interpretation. Yeah, I think it's it's the difficulty of finding someone who's like kind of good looking and also really like can pull off some humor and also you know really good at the sword fighting and the physicality of it. I think it's tough to find that combination. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, and he was an unknown when he was cast, so. He'd been in some films, but for the most part, you know, backgrounds and things like that. Right. Um, this in Lost in Space, that's, you know, that's his two biggest things. And... Yeah. Which, having having watched all of Zorro now, or almost all, uh, I, I now want to go watch Lost in Space just because of him. Lost in I've Space seen, awesome. I've seen, a, uh, I've seen a good bit of it, but, you know, like, I want to go now and just, just watch them all. My, my mom and I used to always go around the house when I was younger going, crush, kill, destroy. <laughs> that explains a lot about you. Yeah. The, the, the plan with the jewels is they're going to drop these random jewels in the tavern so that they can see people's reactions, and then they will go follow the person who has, you know, who sweats the most, basically. 
it's not a bad plan, um, and it works because the lawyer guy is the one who gets really freaked out, um, and he goes to Monastario. Monastario goes out to the desert. Don Diego follows, and that leads to my favorite part of the film, where fake, where Don Diego has to pretend to be bad at sword fighting and fight the fake Zorro, and still win, and still win. <laughs> I love that sword fight. It's probably my favorite one in the whole series. <laughs> because the moves he's making are just like, they're so absurd and you can see him just kind of flopping with his sword hand and things like that. But it, it works. Like he knocks the guy over a cliff. Right. Well, like there's one point where like he drops his hat or something and he bends down and intentionally like knocks the guy's sword out of his hand. <laughs> right. Well, it feels almost like a drunken master style done in swordplay. Yes. Like, that's that's what it reminded me of. Oh, drunken master is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I'm a big Jackie Chan fan, I should ask. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, but, but that lead... This is the one that, for me, um, leads to the biggest strange transition in the whole films because it's monastario is out there with him and they have they have this whole conversation about how he's an inept swordsman and he still won the fight and all this kind of stuff next thing you know monastario's in his office the doors you know they knock on the door sergeant garcia is bringing in don diego being arrested under suspicion of being zorro like there's no there's no, like, the wheels are turning in Monastario's head other than he's like, how did you manage to defeat Martinez? It's just, you know, like, the next minute he's arresting him for being Zorro. There was no, there, there was really no evidence other than the wacky sword fight. Right, I, I just wrote down, next day. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all you can tell, right? There's no transition. Right. It, but that's fine because, really... From the episode standpoint, the battle and them having that conversation at the end of it, after the other guy dies, that's the uh, that's like the end of the episode. Right. Right. I think there's like a little cutesy thing back at the ranch, you know, kind of thing, which they did sometimes, but there's really nothing after it in the actual episode. And then this is just the beginning of another episode. Yes. So. And and yeah, so but what really kind of tees things off for the end of the movie is the um, the viceroy is coming from Monterey, so he is coming to basically investigate all this stuff that is being said about Monastario because everyone's been complaining about his you know, raising taxes and things like that. What I love is uh, Monastario's speech to Sergeant Garcia about. You know, I want a joyous reception for the Viceroy. He says, we only have happy people. We have no crime. Our prison stands empty. <laughs> Which is the exact opposite of what actually is happening. Well, he, let, he lets them all out and then gets them all drunk so that they will be standing around the town happy. Yes. <laughs> I have to say, not his worst plan. No, this is probably the best plan, success, most successful thing he does in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the, but he has the vice. When the viceroy arrives, he has the you know the guys out there standing drunk, and um, he shows them the empty jail, and uh, they're all just shouting "Viva, Viva!" because he's been giving them wine all day. 
Um, yes. Which, you know, I think would work. Or... Um, what I love, though, is the confrontation of uh, Zorro, quote-unquote, and the Viceroy, because it turns out that uh, when Monasterio brings uh, the reception for the Viceroy in the tavern, he brings in, uh, quote-unquote, Senior Zorro, and it's Don Diego, and Don Diego knows the Viceroy. He grew up with his daughter. He knows, you know, they're, they're friends, and so the Viceroy... Um, basically says you're crazy this is this is the silliest thing i've ever heard uh and the fun that the viceroy has is he sends monastario outside and basically switches don diego in the zorro costume with another man pulls monastario back in and says was this is this zorro uh and when he unmasks you know proving that monastario doesn't know what he's talking about I thought it was simplistic, but it's also like really fun to see that uh, to see Monasterio kind of get his comeuppance. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. I, also, the guys like you can't hold pro charges against a soldier because it's like a, one of the guards, right? Is who they dress up in the in the thing. Also, this this girl, the viceroy's daughter, right, is like his love interest for this whole second season, right, or part of the second season. Is, uh, I know he has a not, love interest. Yeah, I'm it's not to... her, but it's it it's a yeah, it's not her, but he does have a love interest in the second okay, season. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, I I just couldn't remember. I know she looks very similar to the girl he ends up with, though. Because she does, yes. Yeah, okay. That's why I'm I, again. I have not watched the show as recently as you have. This was my most recent thing because I we used Cheryl and I used to watch it when we used to live in Massachusetts early on in our marriage, uh, but. It's uh, we haven't watched it since it went off Walt Disney. I don't think so. Not that I remember anyway. It's hard to remember stuff like that. But um, the reason why I asked it because there's this like little side scene that there's no reason for it in this movie where Montessori goes outside. He's outside talking with Garcia when he gets sent outside, and he says, "Oh yes, and she loves me. She's my girl." You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a well. That's because this whole episode, like this whole last bit, probably is what 15 minutes of the movie is taken from the 13th episode, the last episode of the of the Monasterio arc. So it's like a 30 minute segment where he he was trying to win over the viceroy's daughter for the majority of the part that you that was cut out. Yeah, it's just they could have. Yeah. they didn't need to have it in this movie. Is you know they could, he could have just been standing whistling outside and that would have been fine. Yeah, true. Yeah. I just took it as he's an egotistical guy, so he thinks that every woman is in love with him. So, <laughs> this is also a true statement. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting, what I found interesting in the show and in the movie, is that the final, you know, I, I guess the end of Monasterio's reign doesn't come with Zorro fighting him, you know, to the death or anything like that. It's basically. He picks up the sword to try and fight Don Diego, and Don Diego refuses to fight him, basically. Um, you know, kind of knocks aside a few of his thrusts, but not really fighting. And what happens instead is Bernardo comes by dressed as Zorro and throws a knife into the door. Which, by the way, I'm not convinced by his accuracy that Bernardo shouldn't be Zorro instead. <laughs> Somebody had to teach Zorro how to fight. That's how I uh, looked at it. 
I, I'm just saying, if you could throw a knife that far, that accurately, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's not a skill I have. But no, like, there's no, there's no, like, big battle at the end. You know what I mean? Like, every movie these days has to have that third act fight and, and those sorts of things. No, this is basically, you know, oh, well, you see, there we go. That's, uh... Zora lied, and he's not in here, so you're relieved of your command, and Sergeant Garcia, you're in charge, and the end. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going back a few scenes, because we weren't really quick there. Um, where they do the swap-out of the fake of the fake Zorro and to the real Zorro was really funny to me. Yes. Also, um, I like the fact that the Commandante was hitting on the girl and she was like having nothing to do with it. <laughs> yes. She's like, this guy's hitting on me, Dad, but I'm just gonna ignore him and she's like, You do that, girl. <laughs> oh, when back when he's giving the tour you mean for that whole that whole time he is hitting on her for the entire castle tour there. It's the whole thing in the bar too, with the with, with before the fake zero comes in and stuff. He's hit, he's still. That's when she says to Dad that the guy is hitting on her, and she like she's like. Oh no! You're, I think you're so, confusing the two scenes because fake fake Zorro dinner is different than Viceroy daughter dinner. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. That's no, okay. <laughs> They're very similar scenes. To be fair. But I thought she was very empowered. <laughs> yes. Very much yeah, so. True. Yeah, well that goes back to what Rachel was saying is the the female characters are just generally strong. Other than they have like a one moment where they catfight over the jewels. No, they were catfighting over the guy. No no no. The guys were fighting over them, over one of the girls, right? They have a there's but when the, when he's dropping the jewels all over the oh, okay. bar, they have a they have like a moment where they're pulling each other's hair. Though granted, I think that it has to do more with just human greed than with any sort of like that they're women, so therefore they'll be cat fighting over jewels. Yes. Um which is nice. Yeah. But they were pulling hair. That's why I use, that's why I use the term cat fight because that's you know yes. that's the key, that's the key factor in a cat in, in a cat fight is the pl- hair pulling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, you're right though. This is this is the end of the movie because basically he goes, "What are you gonna do? I declare a holiday. Done." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like that's it. It's 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 not like you would never get away with that today. Um, which I think side note is like making all of our movies are somewhat formulaic these days and it makes it hard to to do things like that that have a quiet ending or things but um i think that's kind of sad but it's it's good uh this this film you know it it sort of ends with a whimper uh but there's so many good sword fights and things throughout that it didn't really bother me yeah well formulas for movies were different than they are today vastly so Yeah, very true. Very true. All right. Uh, any other comments or, or uh, concerns want to bring up about Zorro? Um, I just had one last quick note because I decided to do a search about you know back when I was looking and seeing how I could watch this uh, uh, sign of Zorro. 
Um, it's as far as I know, it has never been released on DVD. It's only been released on VHS. Um, and VHS copies right now on Amazon are being sold by private sellers for as much as forty bucks. Though I've heard that they've gone for more on places like eBay and other auction sites. So quite the demand for the sign of Zorro. Well, I think yeah. you can. I think it's because it's digital. You can just rent it. Yeah, you can yep. rent digital mm-hmm. copies of it. Oh, yeah. and, and but that's to to Rachel's point. That's why the only digital copies you can rent are low quality copies versions not there's yep. no high quality no high right. def versions of it but if you want them there there were dvd releases of the entire series that you can get so yeah but you're gonna pay through the nose for them unless you have lots of disney points on disney that's Discord. exactly exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> if if you're one of those people and I'm cough, not, cough the promoters <laughs> yes I, I hoard my disney movie rewards points yes if you're one of those people similar to the Perlmutters, but who are not hoarding your points, who have, like, all the Disney movies and you haven't put in your rewards points, or you have and you just don't know what to do with them, or you're saving up for the studio tour that's, what, 80,000 points? Um, You can get, I think, as of right now, the last time I checked, they only had season two. Um, But usually they will have the full seasons of Zorro. Um, You can exchange movie rewards points to get them. I just don't get why you would just went buy it on again buy it on iTunes or Disney movies anywhere. I guess I should be promoting. Well, if you're here. gonna buy, if you're gonna buy just the mo- this movie, yes. Right. If you want the series, that's the only way to get this. That's one of the best ways to get the series. Yeah, itself. That's actually so, right. Well, to, to cut to Rachel's point, you can't you can't get a DVD of this cut of the movie right at the moment. Yeah, that's true. And this the series, I, I highly recommend. They're very expensive, but if you can get the Walt Disney Treasures versions, I mean, like on eBay, you're gonna they're gonna be a hundred hundred and fifty dollars. But again, like you're talking for that for that amount of money, I think I originally paid forty dollars per set for them. Um, but you're gonna get thirty nine half hour episodes plus two specials plus special features on those. I mean it's a lot of stuff. It's probably a couple seasons of uh of, of most current shows. Um Brian, do any of the ones that they sell at the parks have any of them? Cause I know they sell the Walt Disney Treasures at the parks. No, the Zorro ones were really limited run. Okay. Right, so uh, the sign of Zorro. I think we've talked a lot about the TV show, but let's let's talk about how it stacks up as a movie. Um, and we'll go, I'll go with Rachel first because again, she's the the one who had not seen uh, the show beforehand. So, what'd you think, Rachel? What what would you rank it? Um, I think star rating. I think I would give this a three out of five. Um, it interested me in the show. You know, I love the character of Zorro. Zorro is just. You know, he's a character that was inspired by things like Robin Hood and the Scarlet Pimpernel and has since inspired other characters, which I just, you know, obviously universal stories like that I find really interesting. Uh, The production value is really good, especially for a TV series. Um, But I have to knock it down in points just because of plot issues, the fact that it's, you know, obviously taken from all these different episodes. Um but it definitely sparked an interest in me to want to see get more of the show. So I'm going to give it three stars. All right. Cheryl, I'm interested to hear what you thought. 
I love Zorro. I mean, I was, again, I was that kid watching, what, and, and an adult watching Ozzy and Harriet, watching Zorro um, and stuff like that. So I like, really like this. So I'm going to give it four stars. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Todd. Um, I am a Zorro fan also. Um, I, my feeling, though, is I don't really need to see this movie cut of it again. I just like would rather watch the show. That's kind of how I feel. I, I don't think it, it's good and it's nice, but it's just more enjoyable to watch it as a TV show and consume it that way. You know, in the 30-minute chunks rather than sit through this condensed version. Right. Uh, so for me, though, it is Zorro. Uh, so I'm also going to go with a three like Rachel did. You know, it's just, it, if it was, like, if I was rating the series, the series would be like a four and a half for me, the whole series, right? But yeah, this, I, I this cut of it is just not as enjoyable to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you guys in that, it, it, uh, in giving it a three. And it's just literally because of the way the, the movie is cut together. Like, you can tell they were just trying to figure out. I, I, quite honestly, they were doing it to pr- promote the um, because it came out right after the first season, uh, and they did it to promote the show overseas. So um, it's not really something that was ever meant to be a movie, and it doesn't necessarily play well as a movie. Um, so I would give it a three as well. I would say, though, and, and let me know if you guys agree with this, if you're somebody who hasn't seen the show and you're interested in like what the Disney version of Zorro is, it's worth. It's definitely worth your three bucks to check out. Like It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a good primer on the on the whole, I think, for yeah. that. Yeah, so if you don't want to spend the, you know, ninety hundred dollars to go get the DVDs on eBay or something, you know, check this out. Just spend the three bucks and I think you'll get you'll get a good feel for what the T V show was like and whether you would like that kind of thing. Um, just know that there's more of what you see in the in the show, more more plot development for sure. Just a note that you cannot currently get zero using the Disney movie rewards points either. So apparently, no. so apparently it's definitely locked, locked in the vault. Also, when I searched Disney movies anywhere for Zorro, I want to say one of the categories that came up was Guardians of the Galaxy. If Guardians of the Galaxy is as good as Zorro, then we're all in for a fun summer. I thought that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So that is our look at the sign of Zorro, the... 1950 film from Disney. Uh, let us know what you guys think. I definitely, like we said, recommend you guys go check it out if you haven't seen it before. If you haven't seen the TV show especially, um, spend the three bucks and, and rent this one. Um, sometimes we'll tell you to shy away from them, uh, but this one I think you, if you're a good Disney fan, you want to check this out. Uh, but let us know what you guys think after you do uh, or if you already have over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Leave a comment in the show. Um, hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter at this film project. Uh, of course, you can also email us disneyfilmproject at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to tell other people about the show. That's how we uh, keep going and keep everybody interested. Um, you can rate us on iTunes. Um, you can listen to the show on Stitcher. You can also listen to us on Diz Dad's radio. So lots of different ways that you can find the show if you don't have your weekly fix. Um, but stay in touch with us. And let us know what you want to know, what things you'd like to see on the show, all that kind of stuff. I also wanted to add that if you're listening and you didn't realize it, if you look at the info for the episode in your podcast app, you all the links should be clickable right in there for everything that we've mentioned. There you go. 
yeah, there's some and there's some great stuff out there on the history of Zorro that I'm sure you guys won't be able to will want to look up. All right, so that will do it for this week's episode. Uh, until next week, folks, for Rachel and Todd and Cheryl, I'm Ryan, and we will see you soon. When you cannot clothe yourself in the skin of a lion, put on that of the fox. If I were a woman and fat like this, I wouldn't be particular. It seems that nearly everyone in California is your enemy. You are the luckiest swordsman alive. I have never seen a man so awkward who lives so long. <laughs> <laughs>